Guys, I struggled with this consistently in multiple campaigns. You're treating me well? No, I don't struggle with oh, that at all. Fuck that. <laughs> don't start off on a negative point. Christ. <laughs> Time travel. Time travel in D&D. Hmm. What are your thoughts? Don't do it. Why? It is a bottomless pit of sorrow for a DM. Is it, though? It worked out really well for me, because you guys went back in time, Terry, right before Dan joined the campaign. It hurts my head, but I trust you that you know what you're talking about. It is so hard to to maintain the space-time continuum and not blow up the fucking world to avoid a paradox. I don't know the rules of time travel, and so... Well, that's the problem, is everyone's got their own preconceived notions about how time travel's supposed to happen. And everyone's wrong. There are three definitive schools of thoughts on time travel. One is predestination, one is uh, the multiverse theory, and one is it doesn't fucking matter. I thought they proved the multiverse theory was false. In Avengers Endgame, they said, no, that's not real. Oh, I haven't seen that movie. So that's what that there's a resurgence right now in saying the multiverse theory isn't real because of Avengers Endgame. No, this was I watched this on a documentary with a nerdy guy wearing sandals and black pants. But maybe I'm wrong. I love that. That's your takeaway. I watched the documentary on time travel. The man was a nerd. He was wearing sandals and black pants. Well, look, that's the only details I can remember about this. <laughs> <laughs> Everything else was technical jargon and something from HG Wells. Look, I don't know. He had long hair and I think he had a beard. Right? So H.G. Wells. Yeah. Yeah. No, but seriously, how do you guys, do you guys handle time travel at all? Uh, so the way I would do time travel is, um, I'm definitely of the end game point of view where, uh, there is no real multiverse. Like, I don't like the different, like, it'll get too messy. If you're every single last time you do this, it spawns off a different, uh, universe or different decisions made and it spawns more like it's confusing talking about it so no I, I I don't like it that way I would do the end game version where you could go and you could talk to yourself or you could fight yourself or comments about how it is truly America's ass um, I would do that kind of stuff and then have your decisions that is multiverse theory though no because the things you do would have to be rectified um, via, I don't know, just DM bullshit after the fact also. Right, no, but but you go back in time and you go deal with another, with an alternate version of yourself that never happened in your memory, which means you have changed time and it has split off into another version of reality. That's the multiverse theory. And therefore, whatever you're on this branch, in order for you to go back to the original, you have got to go back further than the first one. Or, or you justify it in some way, like uh, you have to, or the, your old self has a gap in their memory when you go back, or whatever it is, right? And it, if it's such a brief encounter, it might be something they never even notice. It's like driving for two hours, and then all of a sudden you're two hours away, and you've just realized you've zoned out for a while, and you don't really quite remember. How you got I, to there? I, I don't. I don't like that though. I don't know, man. Like time travel's messy. I don't like. I don't like bringing it into the campaign. So you don't like it at all, even from a player standpoint. You even would... from a player standpoint, don't like it. <laughs> what about false memories? Um, as long as there is a way to determine that they are false and to uh, like, it's a bit of a character arc of why are why like discovering that your character has false memories and then. Putting those and then answering the questions that are brought up by those. I've just been thinking about this since the Feywild episode where we talked about being able to travel through time, time dilation, not remembering shit, 
Things are moving at different speeds. I've been thinking a lot about the metaphysical and the rules around kind of the bigger continuum-esque questions. And yep. it's, I feel like there's a way to do it, but D&D is not the right setting. If you want to play mm-hmm. with this, I'm thinking uh, Shadowrun might be. Uh, yeah, um, I, I would say Shadowrun's not even the right one to do this with. Do we have a proper futuristic uh, RPG so, so that time travels legitimately and I don't know about this to be I've honest. never I've never played one that is like such high tech f- like futurism that there's, there's a there's a Star Trek tabletop RPG. Yeah, but there's not even really like is there really? time yeah. travel. Yeah, there's a Star Trek, there's a Star Wars, there's multiple Star Wars ones that are actually pretty Yeah, cool. no, but Terry just gets super excited about the Star Trek one and I'm really interested. There's actually a YouTube channel um about it. I'll have to look into it. I remember seeing that going like, holy shit, maybe. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. This makeup would be my life. Yeah. Man, I'm really Are you, are you a big Star Trek fan? Uh, yeah, but uh, we covered this. He's a Voyager fan. He doesn't like DS9. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, no, you're not a big Star Trek fan. Um, to be yeah, fair. You're just wrong. <laughs> to, 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 to be fair, Deep Space Nine is not traditional Star Trek. Fair enough. Which is why it was so good. I love traditional Star Trek, but DS9 broke the mold in a lot of ways. You would like it, Terry, because it fucks over every character that, that exists. Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it is by far the darkest of all of the Star Treks. But to answer your question. Yep. Uh, no, and I don't. And the reason being, I don't think just as people, we have a proper understanding of time travel. I think we, we, I think that we think we know what we're talking about, but we don't. And it gets messy for me. So for my campaign, no. I'm not doing time travel. So if you also don't want to do time travel, play my game. If you do, don't play my game. And that's where I kind of look at it. Okay. Um, and alternate realities, hopping back and forth. You don't give a shit about... Mm. Like you jump over into a parallel world where your father was actually alive. No. And re- nope, you don't want to do any of that. No, it's it actually just... Um, I'm actually not interested in parallel worlds. The, the closest I would get to that is using it as a method to mess with your players in a short little like 10 minute like vision or um, like a, a vision of something of the way things could have been in order to cause an emotional response in the character in that moment. It makes me and feel like it. I'm not succeeding is the problem because if I succeed at something, yes, I did. I achieved the objective, but I know that in a, another universe, I didn't. I'm like, well, fuck. Like it bothers we're, me. I need clarity already, on things. We're already dealing with extra planar uh, travel, and and uh, we're dealing with incredibly powerful magics all around the realm. Um, we're dealing with uh, summoning demons and devils and, and portals and all that other stuff. I mean, it's not hard to get into it, but there's already so much that is codified within within stock Dungeons and Dragons that adding time travel on top of it as well would just, it would muddy everything. If I'm going to do it, I'm going to go back 300 years so you can't fuck it up, and then you realize that the old ancient story about the four adventures was you all along, and... Yeah, right, like, I mean, But, okay, so then how do you handle the divination spells? What about prophecies? Are the gods, and I mean the greater gods, I don't mean Bahamut and Tiamat, I mean Io. Are those gods, are they linear? 
beings? Do they understand linear thought? And so these are the greater questions that I ended up going down the, the, the dark hole in my head. Like, if, if this is, if we're talking the far realms and Cthulhu's a god and shit, are, are we thinking linear concepts? And I don't know, man, it, it ate my brain for 24 hours. Yeah, yeah no, anytime you bring in divinity and whatnot, it, it is going to, I, I like to lean in towards the fact that um, they are far more intelligent and of a space far beyond our own understanding and are choosing to portray their uh, consciousness to your player in a certain way whenever you meet them. That's not how they actually are. They that, are. That's how they want you to understand. That's how they that's want the you end to of the movie contact. Right? Yeah, right? Okay, it's, all right. So I'm with you. But then what about the spell divination? Where you, Or the, what's the other one where you can see into the future and actually get answers about shit that's going to happen? How do you fucking handle that shit as a DM? Um, uh, well, there's the one that gives you, like, a vision of, like, just before things happen, and then you get advantage. Um, it's easy enough to deal with. Yeah, no, but there are other ones where you can ask the DM three questions. Uh, I, I would keep it purposely vague. Like, uh, you have done this before with me, where it's like, you see, uh, a, a humanoid creature on a table, and you see a hand descend into it, and then pull out, uh, guts and viscera. Um, there it is. <laughs> All right, like, and be purposely vague with these things, and then they kind of have to implant their own interpretation on that, right? Yeah. You do not have to be black and white with You don't have to your set the whole stage. Spells. Exactly. You, everything is steeped in shadow and out of focus, except for one or two little details, or um, it's a metaphor. Yeah. And you run it like a quick time movie. Like, if they're running the divination spell, uh, you have thus taken control of their character's mind and are showing them what their character sees by saying, you look over here and see this one object, and then you look over here. And if give your players a chance to be like, well, do I notice this or do I notice this? And they can ask a question they or can two. Ask, they can ask a question or two, but it's it's very railroaded. And then you're back to reality. Um and but you don't mind being able to jump a little bit in the future and giving kind of people advantage on on I don't mind that kind of something that's no, going to happen. No, that's okay. That's easier to manage. Okay. Well, good guy, because that's what I want to know. So this week we are going to be doing dungeons. Oh, very clever. Very clever. I like it. Nicely done. <laughs> you big smug fucking grin. You, yeah. <laughs> don't be that proud of it. All right. Welcome to It's a Mimic with your DMs, Adam, Dan, and Terry. So it's another episode of the It's a Mimic podcast. Welcome back. We Fuck, Dan, I went out of my way to not say it. And we're, we're back. Was it very clear? I was staring at Adam like, you're going to say something? <laughs> so, uh, a couple of things I want to talk about with dungeons. We've talked about dragons on a few episodes. We're going to talk a whole bunch more about other dragons. We've talked about world building. Let's focus on dungeons themselves. First and foremost, what is a dungeon? And traditionally speaking, it's a prison, right? It's an it's a subterranean prison, yeah. usually or a catacomb or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, specifically prison. Like originally, it oh, was yes, yes. it was a prison, um, and uh, underneath a castle or a keep. And now it's become anything from catacomb system to series of caves to people consider the underdark to be one big dungeon. Right. There are mega dungeons. There are tiny little one shot dungeons. You can do dungeons that aren't even underground anymore. Um, it doesn't have to be like another traditional one is a mausoleum. Right. But you can do dungeons that are uh, through a pirate ship. Right. Through the belly of a pirate ship or through a, a hedge maze 
above ground can be considered a dungeon yeah. and whatnot. So there are some consistent ideas and themes. Before we launch into it, do you guys have anything um, that you'd say is definitively this makes it a dungeon? If you don't have it, it's not a dungeon. Before we do any of the other thing on our itinerary, is there anything that definitively makes it? For me, it needs to have an entrance. If it's an if it's a series of open fields, it's not a dungeon. There has to be a progression through it, right? Yeah. You have to feel the difference between area to area. And there has to be the idea that you can't just walk away in any direction. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, there's a little bit more exploration of... Uh, it needs to be confined in some way, shape, or form, right? Like you're saying, if it's open fields, you're not... Yeah, there needs like, to be a definition. Yeah, to yeah. It. There needs... like, And it's a left-right... Or forward, uh, backwards is just out the exit you came, right? Like it, it, there needs to be. I mean, you could you some could, sort of clear. You could do an underground there. passage, you know, going under the mountain, like the Mines of Moria. That was a dungeon, yeah, right, in Lord of the Rings. So they they enter and they exit in different points, but it's still a dungeon, right? But so, is there anything else about it? Like there has to be. I feel like a dungeon needs to have a purpose. And that was going to be mine. I was on. The, oh, yeah. I was going. With my thing, yeah. Dungeons needs to have a purpose. Um, it, if a dungeon doesn't have a purpose, then it will feel empty and it will feel pointless to your players, and it'll just feel like another uh, loop that they have to jump through, another hoop they have to jump through. So, I mean, a dungeon, you're right. It's it's going to be something to imprison something, to protect something, a tomb, a palace, yeah. a mass grave, catacombs. W- would you say that a wizard's tower is a dungeon? Uh, I would say it's a dungeon crawl, but yeah, I'd say it's a dungeon. No, I would say for this yeah. point of view, yeah, it counts as a dungeon. I think there just needs to be a purpose, a reason for that dungeon being there. Otherwise, it feels pointless and empty to the players. I would yeah. also, um, I am not a big fan of like the a concept of a mega dungeon. Um, I would, I would say in the terms of your campaign, at least personally, dungeons should be relatively brief. Uh, two to three sessions max inside of a dungeon. All right. We're going to talk about mega dungeons later. Um, that's on the list. So, yeah. So when we, when we talk about them later, I, I want to come back to this point. So keep that in mind. Um, but okay. So then what are two absolutely must have aspects to any dungeon then when you are creating a dungeon because i'm really talking about the creation of right, right now when you're creating it as a dm what do you absolutely 100 have to have in this dungeon for it to be a successful dungeon yeah let's roll initiative sure let's do it where's my purple one there it is oh 19 14 and dan tried to hit mine and missed i, I did not try to hit yours it looked like you I tried to, to thread it, the needle Dan, it looked like you tried to hit it. That's all I'm saying. I'm not siding with anyone. I'm just saying that it looked like you tried to hit it. That is literally you siding with Adam. Well, yet again against me. <laughs> no, I side with you sometimes. Never. Not I side once. with you 50% of the time. Doubtful. I'll side we'll, with you. We'll have to crunch the numbers. I'll side with you today. Somebody crunch the numbers. We've already touched on one. My two are theme and purpose. Purpose we just touched on. And What's the other the, one. Okay, hold on. Talk about purpose, though. Talk more about purpose? Yeah, because I feel like we just we hit that with a broad stroke. The, a must-have for a dungeon is purpose in order for your characters to be properly immersed in the world. If your characters feel like you just put a dungeon there for no reason, and it's just a bullshit hoop that they have to jump through, they're not going to be immersed into it. So they need to have a purpose for entering it. It can't just be because left. A purpose for entering it, and then once they're in there, 
for them to go, what is the purpose? Why are these hallways and rooms and what is this thing? There is needs to be a, like a logical it, reason for existence. Is it a prison? Is it the Mines of Moria? Is it a tomb? It's yeah, catacombs. okay. What are we doing here? All right. And the other is theme. Because we get we say often that we get lost in the exploration side of this game. How often do you go into a dungeon and when you're imagining it playing the game, you see flat gray walls one level and you just imagine it as this gray um, you're playing 19 doom like style. yeah you're, you're playing yeah. doom yeah like you're just like you're playing doom in your mind because we lose track of how does like a dwarven a dwarven forge how does a dwarf plug how does a dwarven forge like burying itself down into the mines with these great statues and brass fixtures and master crafted items and text and lore all over the walls differ from an elven palace or a gothic castle and we don't put the theme across often enough so players become disengaged with the dungeon because they don't feel immersed into it they feel like every single dungeon we put them in is the same Mm -hmm. i would be willing to play in a dungeon a mega dungeon for much more for much longer than two or three sessions if if the theme changed as well the theme changed and if i was immersed in it yeah because we could argue that an area of the underdark might be a dungeon if i'm immersed into that theme then I'll stay. Yeah. Otherwise, I just want to get out. Hey, did you have anything else? You, you nope. Theme and it. purpose, that's my two. All right. Uh, for me, I'm going to expand on that a little bit. I need to have secrets in there, and I need to have a personal history. It may be a tomb, and that was the original thing, and we can still see the tomb of the mausoleum, but the goblins have moved in and defaced it. And it has been... Um, it's been ruined, or the kobolds have moved in and set up traps. There's got to be multiple layers to this. This world has to be uh, breathed in, has to be lived in. You, mm-hmm. In order to feel what's going on, there needs to be not necessarily dirt or grime, but a sense that creatures have been here before, no matter who it is. It's not enough to say, oh, it's a temple. You need to have the prayer boxes for people to go and pray. You need to have pews. You need to have like areas for for the incense to be to be burned or where sacrifice maybe maybe um, uh, sacrificed, I guess. <laughs> um, but wherever the uh, wherever these these things are, where they would naturally be inside of it, unless someone's moved it. I really like the idea of going into rooms and seeing that the wall is different. A painting used to hang here. But the, you can see the square is a different color on the wall, mm-hmm. right? So, and there should be secrets. The people that moved in had secrets. We all have secrets in our own homes, little places where, oh, I know that this can do this. My the third stair on the staircase squeaks, so I skip it. Right? There needs to be little bits and pieces like that, and a lot of times that leads into traps and and shit. But it doesn't have to be. I like the idea of secret passages, and every one of my dungeons and you vault. Anything that I do has secrets littered throughout it. And it's to reward the players for just the high perception or the high investigation or for thinking outside the box. The other thing that I absolutely need to have is a red herring or a dead end. Mm-hmm. Right? I just... that There needs to be that you go left instead of right and now there's no... It just stops. And they're going to sit there and be like, wait a minute, we knew that there was a secret here before. If we test the walls and try the things and pull the, the stones and I'm going to cast detect magic, that didn't work. The rogue went through and rolled a 13. The fuck does that mean? Right? And they, they sit there and they go, well, I guess there's nothing here. Are we missing something? And they get the feeling like there's more, but they can't get it. Yeah. So they turn around and they do something else and it makes the dungeon feel bigger than the people. Yeah. So anyway, Dan? Yeah, uh, Honestly, you guys 
I had I prepped like four or five different little things that need to be in every single dungeon, and you guys just mentioned every that's, single last. That's the risk one of, of initiative, man. But um, for me, whenever I'm planning a dungeon, I'm always throwing in absolute minimum. Um, there's always got to be traps. There's always got to be secrets. So, like you said, um, and I like to theme them based off of whatever the theme of this thing is. I've done underground ancient tombs that uh, you know, I I do like jump scares of. Uh, corpses that are hidden on a uh like springed platform that hit your players and knock them into another pit or whatever it is right like i like to really have interesting custom traps in all my dungeons um but i it for the most part you guys are completely right you need to have a very very easily identify uh a di- identifiable theme and you need to have um a way out plan for your party if not two um because parties will often get stuck in a dungeon and they will stay there for a long time they need kind of clear way to get out if you need them to i don't know i like the idea of them getting trapped in and having to find a way out there are a couple of the modules that are in uh tales from the yawning portal yeah. Which are, you end up in the dungeon, you fall through the, the ceiling, you land here, and you need to get out, and mm-hmm. there's no way out. A lot of and the style of the old games was that, right? Because yeah. it was it was far more focused on the dungeon and actually going through the crawl of it, right? So, what you, hold it, you said puzzles. Do you find it more difficult to, to create a logical reason for puzzles than in a dungeon? I, I find it's easy to say, oh, they set up traps, right, to keep people out. But the, you must answer this riddle in front of this altar in order to get the... I find that's really difficult to come up with an internal logic beyond a wizard did it. I like the way that, uh, funny enough, Skyrim does their locking system in a lot of these ancient vaults. So what they do is they'll have clues throughout the entire dungeon. Like, you'll see a lot of wolf heads popping up, or you'll see a lot of eagle heads popping up and then when you go over to the door there are these three spinning gears and you have to find you know you got to line up the wolf the eagle and the octopus and if i line those three things up the door will open and there are different little clues throughout the dungeon not just uh in that room which skyrim mostly does you just look around the room you're in and you can figure it out um but spread out throughout that basically create that next step so you are crossing into that next floor of the dungeon no, right so you but, need that. but i'm talking about the logic behind it the logic behind why is the old knight's mausoleum they have a secret door where the knights are entombed behind the, the this the is the this is the next step of the dungeon or of of the mausoleum or the catacombs where there are going to be harder creatures uh to fight but like the the logic of why they built this is because that was the higher stage of uh person that was um, buried there. I understand. So that. you need to get down and I, it's you're like not breaking in through a vault. You're not, so you you're not listening to me. I understand all of that. That's dungeon design. I'm saying the puzzle. Okay, so there's this secondary area behind the statue. No, well, so, no so let me finish. Okay. Can, can, I, can I finish yeah. that? Oh my god, Dan. Dan. <laughs> Daniel. Oh my god. Dan. This is my new thing. It's the new bit I'm going to do. Yay. <laughs> so I um, love each and every one of your bits. Do you want me to do the memory loss thing again? Fuck you loved that. No. Come on. <laughs> so anyway, the uh, the idea is that there's a secondary area that's hidden, not behind a door, 
not behind a a portcullis, not behind a monster or a series of traps, but a puzzle. You walk into the room and you have to put blue on red to make purple, but it needs to be in the shape of an, of an eagle, and that has to be placed in the perfect... And there's this weird, like, why would anybody make that shit? Do you find that that... Like, what is the reasoning behind that besides we need to have a puzzle? Okay, it, but this depends on where you're doing it and why you're doing it. Yes, Wizard's Tower, you may get that weird shit just because the wizard likes to mess with people or it's their way of keeping things in and keeping things out. But if you were, say, in a monastery where it, they're trying to protect something, the puzzle should have clues which may be based on the lore or the history of those monks where it's like, Every monk of this order would know this. And so your puzzle is that you can access the information if you go and find it. But there needs to be a specific reason and a specific a type of puzzle attached to what you're doing. So, yes, the whole idea of like crazy symbols and colors and flashing lights and smoke coming out of different things is not going to make sense in every situation. So the type of puzzle you're using has to make sense to that situation. That's kind of where I was heading in this. But I see a lot of puzzles that are really just like... Uh, put the square peg in the round hole, right? Your, like, your puzzles do need to have a matching theme to your dungeon. They just do. Look, and right? I will say that the puzzles that you've done, Dan, that I've seen, I've liked because there's a theme to it and there's a logic. Yeah. Which is why I'm ask- I was asking you specifically. Yeah. I, I, again, I was building up to it. But it was... Uh, I, it's very important. Like if you if you have like Terry said a monastic tradition that is just trying to seal off an order a section of the dungeon from people not of their order, then yeah, they're gonna throw this thing in, and then you have to discover based on clues on this side how to get through it, right? Um, it it just all has to match the theme, and and you could go any direction. If it's a cobalt cave, and the cobalts are trying to um, prevent you from going into a next area, well, then it's a series of like uh, spikes and ropes and various other things that you have to you know trip in certain in a certain order in order to make the door just move out of your way or whatever it is, right? Like there's there's got to be a certain intelligence too. Are puzzles always then going to be locking mechanisms? Because that's what you guys keep saying. Well, they, they can be locking me- mechanisms. Uh, I think on the very general level, yes, they're locking mechanisms, but what they lock you out from, that is what it's going to change. It's either a passageway or it's a treasure or it's some aspect of intel- uh, of uh uncovering a secret that you are trying to learn like there's no reason why you can't do a grand mosaic wall that in and of itself is a puzzle and you are moving your way through this puzzle very through you know sliding tiles or replacing with orbs or whatnot to create the answer to a puzzle which is the reason why you're down here right trying to figure out what happened with this one item well you have to put together the mosaic wall to figure out that answer. It could be something like like uh, 300 years ago, a knight was murdered. The, the murderer is actually depicted in this mosaic, but it's been shattered into a million pieces. So, so. you have to go and collect the pieces. Yeah. Yeah. Or it doesn't need reveal. to be a locking mechanism. It's what what is the prize? It can be information. I like um, I like battles where there's a puzzle involved, where the, the, the goal of the battle is not to reduce the hit points to zero, but to achieve a certain thing within the battle to end the encounter. Um, I don't think it needs to always be locking me- mechanisms. It can be... I, we talked about uh, Green Dragons before, where we said the puzzle is in the social encounter mm. how are you going to survive this encounter without trying to kill this dragon is the puzzle um, I think we can think beyond just 
it's a type of lock. We've gone beyond that now. Uh, the same way that um, dungeons are not just a type of prison anymore. Yeah. Right? Okay. Um, that's cool. Do you guys have a faux pas? Something that you don't want to have? Let's stay in the same initiative order. Yeah. Um, something that you don't ever want to see inside a dungeon when it's been designed? Yeah, I'll tell you what I don't like. I don't like um, I don't like the standard hit point tax type traps that for some reason have never been set off and they've just been set there and for some reason nobody's ever set foot in this dungeon. You're just walking along and you didn't say this specific thing so you the trip Indiana the Jones. Yeah. You trip the wire and the poison darts came out that you didn't see the holes for. Um, because I always ask in life, in anything, what is the benefit of this? Um, because it's unrewarding. It makes for jaded players. Um, and the DM doesn't achieve anything from it. And I think, I wouldn't say it's lazy if you're new to the game. I think it's just uncreative. Increate? Uncreative. Um, yeah. Uh, instead, I think we should use traps in a more interesting way. I think, like I said before, I think they should be used um, in encounters. or So that what I'm saying is you can use traps against enemies. Same way, Dan, you just mentioned Skyrim. Yeah. I love using the traps in the dungeons against the enemies, making them chase you. Exactly, And then, yeah. then run over the pressure plate. Um, I think they should be used as, as clues to things because they've already been triggered by somebody who was previously there. So they may give you a suggestion of the civilization, which is there, how to beat... Um, or defend against the enemy which is inside uh, and also give you an insight into their strategy. I also think that traps, you should have a way that you can remove them potentially and use them as weapons as well. Um, I don't like the hit point tax type traps. I, I Just to add on to the traps thing real quick, the one thing I do love about traps, especially spent traps at the beginning of your dungeon, is it is a great way to establish theme and threat amongst your party uh, towards your players is you're walking in and you see what kind of trap has been triggered by what kind of person in this area and what has happened to it at the end yeah. of it all, right? Definitely. And you're able to really set the culture and the theme for that dungeon <clears throat> in that initial moment just over something simple as a spent trap, whether it be a pit trap or a skeleton pinned to the wall with darts or whatever it is, right? Yeah, no, that's, a, that's actually a great point. Um, my big faux pas is the impassable puzzle, where there's one answer, there's one clue, and it's the only way forward. You cannot go any further in this dungeon. The dungeon is a linear hallway with large rooms with doors in between them. And in room number one, there's a painting that no one stopped to look in. And in room number four, you cannot go forward unless you know who is the red woman. Yeah. I hear that bullshit. And then when you're the DM and you were sitting there going, no, guys, come on. Who is it? They're like, we don't know. And they sit there and they, can I roll an intelligence check? Like I, like, I guess. I rolled a 23. Well, you don't know who the red woman is, so that doesn't help you. Like, yeah. what? And you just get stuck, right? So my big thing is that an intelligence check has got to be like, you know what? You remember that back here there was a you saw a red woman. Something about this area reminded you of a red woman. Your passive perception picked up some red in a previous room somewhere. Yeah. Right? It like it has to be something or this red woman needs to be in every fucking room. In every corner of every room, right? Yeah. Like there it puzzles need to be solved. Well, that is why they exist. I don't think the answer should be hidden. I think a lot of times the answer should be fairly obvious, but how you achieve the answer should be difficult. For example, you should see the the big open room and you see the door 
up the top and the ceiling, and you notice that if you touch the whatever thing, the steps slide in and out of the walls. So the answer is obvious, but it's how you get there is the challenge. You gotta hit them in the right order. You gotta hit them in the right order, whatever. Yeah, exactly. I don't think that, I think the answer should always be fairly obvious, but it's just the the steps to get there should be. And and if you've got a lot of build up to this, like, grand puzzle at the end, have blatant clues that only give them a portion of the image that they've then got to put together, but these clues themselves are blatant. Like, you're in a room and uh, you need to find the black gem, so you're in a room that is surrounded by black gems, and, like, hit that point hard for your players to really build it in and, like, give them these little aspects as you go along room to room. What you're saying is that the dungeon itself needs to provide the answer. Yes, to the puzzle. They, it shouldn't be something they should be expected to know already. Because even if they learned it three sessions ago, we all know player notes are bullshit at best. <laughs> right? We but do an my, entire series of how uh, to note take yeah, Dungeons and Dragons. My, my notes from last session say... Um, Noam Robertson, two hit point potions. Mm-hmm. Don't like long, elf. Uh, long yeah. long sword, long spear, 23 gold. And wh- some, uh, I wrote squiggly Minotaur? dick, but I Question don't know mark? what... Yeah, right. <laughs> so... Um, so you can't rely on that. You gotta, you have to use your dungeon to tell a story. And that's what we're saying here over and over again, right? Yeah. Is, is telling a story. Dan, what's your big faux pas? Um, I absolutely hate having parties sleep in a dungeon. Oh, I don't know about that, but okay, you keep like, talking. Uh, doing your long rest in the middle of a dungeon. Um, especially one that is occupied by some sort of opposing force. There needs to be, like, I hate the, let's just throw a pitten in the door, close the door, and then we'll all get our eight hours of rest. <laughs> Bullshit. But that's that doesn't work. It won't work in reality. There's got to be consequence to it. I absolutely hate it. Give your party an out. Um, there's actually an alternative rule set. I don't know what book it's out of, but... Uh, I believe it's in the DMG. But you can only take a long rest if you're in a settlement. Of oh. some of some way, shape, or form. Well, they they have the the expanded time and the and the protracted time as well, where a short rest is five minutes, a long rest is an hour, yeah, or a short rest is a day, and a long rest is a week, depending on how gritty. You oh, because if be. you want to recover from wounds, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so I I I would say, I like um, give your players the opportunity to yeah, drop a pit in and take a short rest. But they're not taking a long rest inside this dungeon. And what if what if they don't have give, a choice? Um, you always have a choice of leaving. And if you don't, if they if they're stuck in the dungeon, then yeah, you've got to put some sort of option there. But um, you should be communicating from the get go that uh, a long rest is not going to be the way to succeed here, right? Um, if you are trying to run a campaign that has a lot of that. Um, fatigue and uh, resource management throughout the dungeon sure but a long rest inside of the dungeon is just another way for everyone to just walk up to that one altar and hit the thing and everyone's fine and let's continue on at full power no you're in the middle of a dungeon occupied by an uh, opposing force if you shut a door and lock it they will break it open in the middle of a rest and you guys are now exhausted and you don't have but but they have an answer for that built right into the game and that's Liamon's tiny hut and Mordenkainen's what is it magnificent mansion yes but you're still sitting somewhere for eight hours Mordenkainen's magnificent mansion where you can't see the entrance sure but Leoman's tiny hut is that dome one. Yeah, that's right? opaque from the you outside. Still see, you still see an opaque dome. There's still something there, right? So 
they will sit there and they will bang on the dome and they will try to figure out how to get in. You are going to honestly tell me that your skittish wizard is not going to be uncomfortable and thus not restful while you guys are sitting inside oh, of the dome where the goblins but, are. But, but that, that, that's my next point, though, is, well, there's an answer to this. The DM's answer is, just because you can't get in doesn't mean that you can't rig up the room around it to collapse the ceiling the moment they step foot away, right? Yeah, I mean, if, if your party's super creative with it, fine, I'll roll with it. It's the party that's just like, no, we're going to unlock the door and just take eight hours here. Yeah, I I agree that that's kind of bullshit. I don't know, though. I like the idea of a party of halflings that have infiltrated the orc base. But that's a very specific but, thing. But they're hiding in a closet. I yeah, think right? it depends on what kind of dungeon, to be honest. If it's a pyramid that nobody's been in for a thousand years anyway... Why can't but, they just have a long rest? Because if it's a pyramid that nobody's been in within thousands of years, then there's probably a mummy that will come and get them and eat them. Yeah, maybe, but if that's what I'm saying. If nobody's walked those hallways for a, a thousand years, them looking at having one person on watch to look out for the mummy that might come and get them is no different to them having somebody watching the road when they're camping. I, I guess the point is that the point that Dan's making is you need to have roaming monsters. Yeah. You can't just have this room is two goblins. Then the goblins need to go on patrol. They've got shifts. Yeah. If they're if, coming if, and going. If you're coming in with a theme and a reason and a, and a culture of your dungeon, there's got to be a reason for the room that your characters are sitting in and locking the door behind them yeah. and moving on, right? It definitely, yeah, it definitely depends like, on what type of dungeon. You're right. If you're in, And it, it does depend on the type of dungeon. If you're in something with roaming monsters, with goblins and stuff, that's fine. But if you're in some, like, ancient tomb, I don't know. They well, probably like have, the, like, a the end of Tomb of Annihilation, the entire thing is walking through a tomb, right? And you have to camp inside. That It's also the scale of your dungeon. And I mentioned earlier, I'm not a big fan of the you're in a dungeon for the next nine weeks thing i like two maybe three weeks tops well and it's a resource management and you get to your point and you get out and there's more to a campaign than this one dungeon okay right, right okay i'm i'm with you on that i'm not gonna argue the, on that yet we'll save that for the mega dungeons but i just want to bring up the idea of what about you taking a long rest in a cave or you you get into a small mausoleum it's a crypt and it's only like a 10 foot by 10 foot and there's a coffin and the coffin is empty Right, you guys get in there. It's this place has been ransacked, and you bar the door from the outside. Here's where you're taking your eight hour rest. Think about Weathertop in Lord of the Rings, right? But then, during your long rest, the secret door opens, and this is the entrance to your dungeon. Yeah, I mean, if you engineer in that this is where your party will take a long rest, that's fine. Go nuts, right? Um, it's the uh, I specifically had a example where um, my group and I was a player in this group. We ran down this ramp of this goblin cave system, like uh, hundreds of goblins living in this one cave. We ran down this ramp. We were all bled dry of all of our abilities because it had been a very difficult dungeon to walk through up until this point. And we're like, we need to take a long rest because our wizard's out of spell slots. Everyone's out of uh, key points, whatever they have. So we barred the door and we did it. And then eight hours later, we just walk out and we take the next step. And in the room is those three uh, goblins that we heard before we took the um, rest in this one room. They hadn't moved. They're still there. We're just continuing on. We just have all of our stuff. And that's that's shitty cool. DMing. That 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 shitty G that shitty DMing. And it happens at a lot of tables, mostly because you have a bunch of players around the table whining that they're out of abilities. Dungeons should be about the conservation of your abilities, and your encounters and your puzzles and everything else 
should be difficult, but not crippling to your party unless you specifically engineer that one section of this thing to do it, right? They are very much a resource management uh, kind of environment. That's a really good point. Okay, which brings me to the next thing that I want to talk about really quickly. Guys, do you have some bullet point tactics for players? Okay, everything that you've just said about resource management is fucking on the money, Dan. So I, what episode is this? We're in episode 33. It's you next, said I was right before. Uh, yes, but I didn't mean it. This time, I actually mean it. So, um, now that... Uh, here we are, Terry. Yes. Bullet point tactics for players yep. in when going through a dungeon. What should they keep in mind? Um, well, let's just hit this quick. Okay? I think Dan just talked about conserving abilities, conserving spell slots, all that stuff. There's lots of times when we can keep it simple here. We don't have to automatically go straight for spells just because we have casters in the party. If you're trying to conserve your abilities and your spells... Then use mundane items. You know, Dan's talked before about the old flower to the face for spotting invisible creatures. Or the get creative. The smoke over the laser beams. Or put your put your shovel over the blow dart hole if you think it's a trap. Like, come on. Like, we don't need a spell for this. Um, bring a friggin' crate of doves or a rat to go around the corners. Hey, you. If you think you hear something around the corner, let's use a mirror. Okay, we don't need to roll a stealth check. Let's just use a mirror. That's let's what I'll leave, the that, That's what shovels and mirrors and ten foot poles and shit were for in original D and And it was and it lost in three point five and never came back. It got yeah. forgotten because everyone's like, "Well, I use my invisibility slot up now." All right, cool. I used a mirror, so yeah. Yeah, your wizard is not just a spell slot slinger, and the second he's out of spell slots, he's useless. Yeah, so I hear what you're saying, Dan, and you are correct. But also, players that are whining that they're out of abilities, it, also it's on you. You know, get creative, all yeah. right? Yeah, sort your shit out. Yeah, exactly. All right, do you have anything else you want to hit bullet point? Uh, yeah, I'd say be creative with your skills as well. And know that anyone can attempt anything. Um, so w- what I mean by this is we tend to lean on these people to know certain things. So when, by my point of view, if you have scripts and riddles and ancient languages and stuff, um, a wizard who scores a 20 on an investigation skill, I would not necessarily give them more information than, say, a barbarian who scored 13 who happened to already know their la- that language. Yeah. You know, a wizard can try and figure out what this language means, just to keep it simple, but a barbarian will go, that says this, if they know it. Mm-hmm. So anyone can attempt anything. Just get creative. Yeah. And, and that's just me trying to move away from min-maxing as well. All right. I got a bunch of really quick ones. Um, first of all, uh, marching order. Know what your marching order is. And have a couple of different variants. Sometimes you want the rogue up front hunting for traps, and sometimes they're very, very squishy and you put them in the middle. Um, sometimes you want your wizard with mage armor up front, and sometimes they don't have mage armor and they've got an AC of 11. 12, yeah, right? And, and they're, they're just fucked. A strong breeze will knock them over. Yeah, so, so keep them in the, in the back. If you've been ambushed from behind six times, change up your marching order. But have that shit prepped ahead of time, and don't wait for the DM to say, What's your marching order? Because if the DM is asking, then the players know combat is coming. Mm-hmm. Or there's a trap or something. Discuss your light sources. Who's carrying what torches? Everyone has dark vision? That's fantastic. No one carries a torch. I, as a DM, am going to have puzzles based on color. Because you have dark vision based on grayscale. And if that's the case, then I'm going to use that against you. So, know who's carrying your light sources and know... You cannot just have a torch in your shield hand. Yeah. It needs to be remembered as well because that's something that DMs will ask 
when you first walk into the dungeon, yeah. how are you seeing? And then what, two rooms later, no one's even asking that question anymore. Oh, yeah. when you get to the combat, by the way, all of a sudden the human fighter who's using the sword and shield can suddenly see yeah. because can, everybody's forgotten. Can I just say, I find it kind of weird that um, a player manages his own resources on almost every single little thing on his character sheet, but a player himself isn't managing whether or not he could see and like how much he's carrying which is weird like encumbrance is often like the dm going this is finally weird that you're carrying this like entire treasure room full of stuff <laughs> you probably can't carry this you 12 strength wizard yeah. what are you doing and by the way and we won't make a big deal about it 3000 gold pieces is going to make a lot of noise right? yeah Just, right yeah. right so like i'm saying players i know I know there's a lot going on in your character sheet. There's also a lot going on in your DM's head in the moment. Be aware. If you're playing a human, ask the question, hey, that guy that was holding the torch further back there, he's now out of my line of sight. Can I see in this room? And it'll help your DM along. Remember, we're all in this together. And tell an interesting story. Oh, so... if And remember, if you're in pitch black, you only have disadvantage. Yeah. Right? It's not the end of the world. Uh, my next thing is don't split the party. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, don't. Okay. Uh, my next thing is split the party for skill challenges. So, uh, here's my reasoning. Fuck okay. Adam. <laughs> Look, there is a lever that needs to be pulled over there, and there's a shit ton of pressure traps and whatnot. Send the rogue in. Mm-hmm. Do not send the paladin in for that shit. You need to climb up to the ledge to get something. Don't send your, your sorcerer. Send your barbarian. These are skill checks that need to happen. Yeah. And a lot of the times, you're going to have people that are make, that are wearing heavy armor and shit with disadvantage on stealth that are still trying to roll for it and then wondering why they keep failing. Just be around behind them. Yeah. It's not the end of the world. So anyway, um, I would like everyone to always be clear about healing, hit points, and resurrection availabilities that they have. It sucks when someone turns around halfway through the, the part or the combat and saying, uh, I have one hit point, guys. And everyone else goes, holy shit, What? So, but I also don't like it to be meta like that. So, my suggestion for players is use key phrases and agree on these beforehand. I'm fine. Says I have close to or full hit points. I'm a little hurt. I'm bleeding. Remember the bloodied uh, yeah, effect of fourth edition. Um, if I'm bleeding, I'm at about half hit points. I'm not doing so good. Means to help, please. And uh, you know, I'm barely holding on here. Means I'm one more hit from death. Right. These are just, and that's my language. You guys use your language at home, like whatever it is that you want to do, but, but make everyone aware of how it is because we're telling a story. And if we don't realize that the monk is limping badly and the cleric has full freaking spell slots and it's just through not paying attention, there's, there's something that's, that's not aligning here, yeah. right? So, um, explore everything. Go the wrong way first. That's just a dead end. No, it isn't. Go look. Every dungeon has shit in it for you to explore. Even if you don't get a mechanical boon from it, you will get something from it. Yeah. Even if it's just the experience of doing it. Um, You should hide the bodies that you kill. You should loot the bodies that you kill. And you should sabotage everything that you've done. So you know it. Think like a kobold. If you got a rogue, and remember, here's the thing about thieves' tools. If you are proficient with thieves' tools, not with sleight of hand, but with thieves' tools specifically, if you've taken that proficiency, you can set traps. 
And that's it. That's the only way to set traps. Hmm. So um, that's the way that you do this. So if you are a rogue and you're like, well, do I take the thieves tools? Sleight of hand gets me more pickpocketing opportunities. Remember that every doorway you go through is now booby trapped. So you and your party can step over the wire, but the goblins chasing you won't. So a great offensive tactic is retreat. Yeah. Yeah. And the farther you go, the fewer bad guys you'll have to fight. Yeah. So, um, and, uh, pittens, caltrops, and ball bearings are your friends. As much as Dan said, I hate the jam a pitten under the door. For those of you that don't know what a pitten is, uh, mountain climbers, they have those nails with the, the eyelet loop in it to put the rope through mm-hmm. to like kind of hold them if they fall. That's what a pitten is. They, I, they, I think they originally included it for overland travel and for yep. climbing purposes, but it didn't take long for people to realize that if you hammer one into the ground on the inside of a door, it, the door can't open. It's just a, a really quick lock that you can't unlock from the other side. Yeah. If you need a short rest, that's awesome. Caltrops are a great way to slow people down. Caltrops are just essentially D4s that you throw behind you. And I'm not even going to make you guys roll a check on this. You just drop your caltrops as you go. Right? And then anybody behind you will step on this and ow, 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 ow. And it'll slow them down. And ball bearings are hilarious on stairs. And... They're also great for distractions. How many times do you need to throw a little pebble or something to get the guards to look in the wrong direction? When you buy ball bearings, they're super fucking cheap, and they come in a pack of a thousand. No DM is going to make you, well, how many ball bearings did you throw down the stairs? Yeah. It's an all or nothing or a one at a time scenario. Yeah. So use them all of the time. Like that's so fantastic to just be able to to throw them when you want, or to uh, to drop them on the stairs and watch people do, try to do deck saves, or bail down the stairs, or off of a cliff, or a bridge, or whatever. Right. So so these are my tips and tricks, Dan. Um, for me, I, I'm going to go back to what Terry said a little bit earlier, where it's use the terrain to your advantage. Um, we've, we've talked about, you know, conserve your spells, focus more on your cantrips and save your spell slots for when you actually need them, stuff like that. Um, we've already mentioned all that. So use your terrain, use the items that are in the dungeon to your benefit. You mentioned setting traps. It's a fantastic way of doing it. Um, if you come across a room full Thank of like you, Dan. crates and barrels and various other things, use them to block passages or to... If you're sitting in a crate and barrel. <laughs> well, use them to like block passages or tear them apart to assemble your own traps. Um, there are so many different things and whatever the theme of your dungeon is, that if you take a minute and remove yourself from the fact of what your character has on them in that any given moment. If you remove yourself from that, you can see what is around you and try to be creative with that. I love the use of improvised weapons or... or I love... I, I like, saw this once and I don't know why people don't do it. Pull the door off the hinges and now the guys with the crossbows can't hit you. Yeah. Right? That's not even I have cover. It's I am like blocking the hallway and walking down it. Yeah. Right? Like do things like that. Be creative with the environment around you. That's fantastic. Do you guys have any other thoughts? Nope. Okay, uh, we're going to cut to a commercial. This is a fantastic commercial, and I know that I am going to buy all of their products. Are you interested in advertising or becoming a sponsor on our show? Email us at info at itsamimic.com. Hey, hey, hold up, hold up. Wait, 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 wait. 
Before we get back to the regular show, I, DM Dan, need to warn you loyal listeners about the impending cosmic horror on the horizon. It's September 2019, which means we're less than a month away from the Elder God Niarthotep breaking free from his arctic slumber and wreaking chaos and madness upon the world. Five unsuspecting citizens will enter Radiance Yukon before the sun sets for 37 days, but not all of them will survive to see it rise again. As darkness descends on the sleepy town of Radiance in the Canadian north, and the baleful howl of unknown monsters carries far and wide on the frigid winter winds, join me, Terry, Adam, and three others in an actual play series as we go back in time to 1922 and crack open the Call of Cthulhu 7th edition. There will be ten episodes as we count down to Halloween. And I can promise you cultists, bloodshed, body horror, murder, oppressive doom, and inappropriate laughter. Stay tuned for the end of September, when I, Daniel, the keeper of arcane secrets, use the most sinister of tabletop role-playing games to bring you the disturbing and twisted tale that I like to call The Deep Dark of Radiance. So, okay, now I want to talk about including the pillars of play in a dungeon. We're back to dungeon design, okay? We've talked about what we want to include, and we've talked about... Um, a faux pas and how players should be um, strategizing their way through this. Let's talk about incorporating exploration in a dungeon. This is pretty straightforward. We've talked about this in the past, but I really want to focus on this directly. Shit, 19 again. Oh, you hit my die and you failed to knock the number. I got a six. Terry, you're up first. What okay. do you got? Uh, well, okay, with regards to exploration, I want to talk about theater of the mind when it comes to dungeons. I think something that I've learned from both DMing and playing Dungeons and Dragons is to avoid using maps in dungeons where possible because it becomes kick the door in, everybody thinks tactically constantly, nobody really thinks It's all grid items. play, right? It's like, all grid play and um, it, it takes away from role play, it takes away from exploration, we're not talking about surroundings anymore. Okay, new thought. Mind Flayer Colony. Yeah. Okay, they have an amphitheater, and it's called Theater of the Mind. Yes or no? Yeah, agreed. 100% yes. Yes, okay, cool. 100%. <laughs> sure. How have we not come up with this before? <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think some people might say, well, I'll get lost in the dungeon. But for me, that's, duh. Assign a map keeper in your party, someone writing down directions, chalk, marking off areas, breadcrumbs, um, or you can assign your players with a map as a prop from wherever they get it from, and they just need to follow it together. Because guess what? If there is one map and everybody's around the table, they will all look at the map together and they will talk to each other and discuss. Yeah. And they will role play as their characters instead of just pushing their mini going, um, I'll go here and I guess I'll uh, kick in the door. Or do you want to do it first this time? Yeah, I, I hate them moving your mini. Like I, I, I'll have players like grab their mini from from one room and just move it into the middle of the next room, four things over, yeah. and just you know they'll sit there and be like, "I'm there now. I want to do my check there." Because it's like, buddy, no. Because the number of times Dan that I moved your mini back because you have you're a rogue, so you go 105 feet a freaking round or something, yeah. something like that. Yeah, and I'm like, dash. no, 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 come back here, <laughs> right? Yeah. When you get to this point, right? And so that's yeah, yeah and like that's that's a force of a habit for other groups that ever. So, um, so what I'd say is is take the map away. To avoid the grid play, let them try and remember where they're going or use a map keeper so you can explore exploration. Because also that means if they have to get out of there in a hurry, no. you have your map as the DM behind the screen. You know where they're going and they'll be going, oh, shit, shit, shit. They're being chased by the kobolds. Was it left or was it right? Was it left or was it right? 
There's left or there's right. Yeah, yeah I would let them maybe roll a, um, a history check or something to see if they can remember. Just don't get the 13. There's a lot going on. You can't remember if it was left or right. It's dark as well because you're human fighting and you left your torch 50 feet that way. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, I just want to add on to that real quick. Uh, for anyone out there that listens to the Acquisitions Incorporated podcast or, or, or anything along those lines, you would know that they have a very uh, regimented uh, occupational system that they are releasing or it might even be released in a book form that is supported by Wizards of the Coast for the D&D 5th Ed. Um, these occupations include things like a map, like a navigator, whatever it's called, where they all they do is draw the maps and move it, and you could actually have occupations within your adventuring party that level up additionally outside of your actual character class. So there are actually mechanics out there for really encouraging... I would say that's great for experienced players. You're going to yeah. overwhelm a brand new player by yes, giving yeah. No, it's, it's, yeah, very, much, it's very much a veteran table. Right. You're going to yeah. do that with a veteran table. It would table. be good, though. Yeah, but it, it it's, it's really fun, and then there's multiple ways you can level up your character and move through. It's 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 uh, the Acquisitions Incorporated book that is coming out, or it may already be out. Cool. Um, that you were next. Was that your point, Dan? Or? Uh, no. So, uh, well, yeah, that, that is kind of my point. Like, I, I would have... Uh, uh, I would I would go to these other sources to to pull that stuff in. So, look, I'm a big fan. Okay, hold on. Let me let me start off by saying I want you to think 3D. How many? We've said this in the past. How many dungeons are on a flat surface, mm. right? And then you get to the staircase or the mine shaft and go down exactly 10 feet. Yeah, and move on to the next area, right? That's I'm done with that. I want you guys to. Enter large cavernous rooms with a door that's 40 feet up on the wall. I want you to span bridges and the enemies are shooting at you from below. And then from like 30 feet below. And then you've got to somehow get down this shaft that's 30 feet down. How many more times am I going to say shaft? And uh, Dan is just like, is that you drooling? What? Gotta, no, just move on. Okay. <laughs> um, it's so weird without a beard and I can't handle it. So <laughs> Yeah, for, for the internet, I recently had to shave. So Yeah. He's uh it'll grow back. Please God. Um if it's anything <laughs> if it's anything like your back, it'll no, be man, back tomorrow. It's all right. Hey, I think you look nice. Nice. It's Dan Dan, <laughs> Dan. Come no, on. Okay, Adam. all right. So so think that was a lousy pun. Oh, Adam, just go. I'm trying to, but you guys are bugging me. <laughs> the idea of um, thinking in three dimensions, the puzzle can simply have an answer that is directly there. The item that they're going for is there. They can see it. It's just all, like 40 feet up, and there's no way to get to it from here. Yeah. And so you need to have your dungeons always sloping. There needs to be two or three steps down into the next room or up into the next room. Or maybe... Um, Stop dealing with staircases and go with ramps. So you can move at uh, double speed in one direction and half speed in the other. Right? Really start thinking in three dimensions. You guys are talking now about maps and having a map keeper and whatnot. I love the idea of having a one-shot. And the one-shot does not have a map. It's theater of the mind. And you assign a person in the party to draw out the map that you have as a DM written in front of you and you describe it where the painting is on the wall or maybe there's a fire pit in the corner or whatever it is there's a bunch of goblins over here and so and they draw the map out it's a 20 by 10 foot circular room like what does that even mean and then at the end you take the map and you look is it close to what you described 
And then that one shot is done. You have that map. And three sessions later, back in the real campaign, you provide them this map that was found on a corpse in the middle of the woods, right? And it's potentially reliable, but you're not certain. Mm -hmm. And now they're going off of this map, and you have the real one, and you know that um, there's now a body in this corner, or there's a trap set up here. Mm -hmm. And so they're going to take shit for granted because they have their own map. I love that. That's that's brilliant. Yeah. So, I don't know. I got really excited about that. Anyway, um, let's talk about incorporating role-playing in a dungeon. Terry, you rolled first. Yeah. Um, I think, I think role-playing... Well, it's, I actually don't have too many more points of, of what I just said before, but I think when you take it to theater of the mind, they automatically, the players have to role play more because they have to talk. They have to discuss with each other. If you give them a map or whether you don't, they have to flesh out their plans based on what you're describing to them. So I think even for role playing as well as exploration, just get rid of, get rid of the grid and I think you're going to have much more success with role playing. Well, the moment you have a grid and a mini, they're pulling weapons. Yeah. Right? But you're telling them they're going into combat. <laughs> yeah. Right, that that's that's what you're saying. So yeah, so uh, not an interesting point other than the same thing. Get rid of the map. Yeah, uh, for me, uh, I would have. Um, there's always a good uh, use of having is someone in the dungeon that knows the layout but has an ulterior motive to the party that they can then talk to and use for their information of how to get to their point wherever they need to go. To get to their endpoint of the dungeon, to have that conversation with that one, either like a trapped kobold or um, the one goblin that is crippled in the corner and the rest of the tribe left them there to die. Whatever it is, right? Um, and you could do the same even with... Uh, I don't see a reason why you can't have quote-unquote holograms. Um, one of the things that uh, I've seen in shows like Doctor Who and, and whatnot is you're entering into this massive library and there's the like spectral guide who has very regimented answers that they give. Have a role-playing encounter with this spectral Oh, guide. there's a yeah. whole bunch of, of wards, or uh, not wards, but runes set up. And as you trip them, illusory script starts to write. Or something like that, right? right? Like a role-playing encounter does not even have to be... You know, voice to voice, face to face. It could be you are trying to communicate with something that can only communicate with you through text or through symbols or whatnot. And you are trying to figure out what they are telling you through that. And it's, it's a role playing encounter that way where they know what you're saying. They know what you're doing. Even if there's mind flares one involved, it's all telekinetic and they're, um, harrying your party telekinetically as you're making your way through the dungeon. Like there's so many ways to do this. So I'm thinking when people think of role playing in a dungeon, they're thinking interparty politics. And as much as I like that, and we need to continue to do that, like Terry said, right? Why do we not role play during combat? Right? Why are we not giving each other shit or trying to help each other out or be like, hey, this is like the last time when we go watch Lord of the Rings. Legolas and Gimli are talking shit that entire battle. Right at at Helm's Deep. I, how many do you have? I've got twenty three. How many? How many do you have? Right. They go back and forth. Right. There should be that kind of stuff all the time. But besides that, who do you find in a dungeon to role play with? Hostages, especially if it's a traditional dungeon. Ghosts. Yep. Take prisoners. Get POWs. You don't have to murder every goblin. Then you're talking about the kobold that was left behind, right? I'm thinking about. 
there were four kobolds that you chased into a dead end. You murdered three and then threatened the third. I got a sidekick in your clear-cut campaign because of that. Because we murdered all but one kobold. And then I started torturing him. And uh, and he actually ended up coming over to our side eventually, yeah. right? Um, but here's my, here's my pitch. Have a previous adventuring party that failed. And everybody died except one person who was wandering around in this dungeon, scared and alone and afraid. And everyone is going to immediately think that this is the, you know, this is a setup, right? And then you have them actually help with, no, 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 no. This is what killed my guy. Here's, here's the answer to this trap. Watch out for this puzzle. We got through it with here. We knew that it was something that had to do with, with octopi, but, yeah. but we couldn't figure it out, right? Whatever the answer is. And so he's actively helping. And then, at the end of the whole thing, find his body. And then he realizes he's a ghost. Mm-hmm. Yep. I love it. Yeah. Absolutely. Love, love it. it. So, um, combat. That's our final pillar. Sure. Now, I mean, we do combat. We talk combat all the time. We're always talking yeah. strategy. But this is interesting combat. Interesting new combat specifically for in dungeons. Mm-hmm. Terry, what do you got? I would say, okay, I've got a few points for this one. Um... Think multi-directional, whether it be DM or a player. What? No, no, keep going. Is everything all right? Do you keep want me to... No, no, keep I going. Even, I won't even use that one. You want me to Dan, use good. Daniel, Dan, Dan, Daniel, Dan. Ow! Fuck you, through All right, I, I thought it was okay. that bit. No, I'll let you have multi-directional. I'll let <laughs> no, you no, 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 you do your thing. No, I'm going to let Dan, you have No, Dan, you can take it from any direction that you want later. Uh, <laughs> Look, just I've got up. more bottle caps to throw at you. <laughs> Dan, man up, we've all done it. Look. Use it. No, no, we have not, Terry. Dan, don't stand there and lie to me. I'll sit there and lie to me. Okay, multi-directional combat. As a DM, bring things in from different angles. Bring things in from different angles. Up the stairs, down the stairs, out of the hole. Behold, they're coming out of the pit. Whatever you want to do. Things burrowing through the ceiling. And burrowing. Shit, right? yeah. Things burrowing and taking players with them. Um, splitting the party. Well, if they don't want to, will cause panic, causes them to think on their feet, causes them to go on the back foot, and it means that they don't get to play the game on their own terms all the time because they always have their perfect strategy that they've taken their long rest for. And this game is chess. It's about strategy and thinking on your feet and adjusting to changing surroundings. That works for both DMs and players. Another thing I want to um, talk about is using traps against enemies that I touched on earlier. Yep. If you know where their traps are or if you set up your own traps out in great idea, revert back to those and use them against enemies. And remember, a trap can also be the bigger fish. There is always a bigger fish around the corner. There is another monster. And that monster... Was that an episode one reference? Or is that Phantom Menace that you were referencing? There's always a bigger fish? I'm pretty sure that's that's quite well, a saying. Well, I think it's a common Qui-Gon. phrase. No, but I think he literally says, "There's always a bigger fish." Yeah. No. When when a bigger fish? Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. it's a big fish. Well, yeah. I love Kwai Jong Gin. So. God damn it! Oh <laughs> my fuck! 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 Well, welcome to the Intimate Podcast like, with Terry. Adam does fucking not Adam like, and I are. Do you not like Kwai Jong Gin? <laughs> <laughs> do your thing. The one good thing about the prequel, and you just fucking butchered it. <laughs> Go, go, do do stupid nonsense. <laughs> so, so use the bigger fish, okay? You can, if, if you know, because there's always another monster in the dungeon. So maybe we can actually go deeper into the dungeon, find it, and yeah, use that one to fight kill the Ola- Olaquan when you can fight, uh, what exactly. did you say, Quibon Jim? Quibon Jim is now what his name is. Yeah. Exactly. I, I would call, call Quaggy Jimbo. Quaggy Jimbo. <laughs> When he was talking to Obi Khan, there's Nairobi. always a bigger fish. <laughs> when he was talking to Obi Khan Nairobi, I forget what he said. <laughs> <laughs> I 
forget what he said. But you know what I was talking about. Okay. <laughs> no, my favorite part of those movies is when they met up with that kid, you know, a napkin. Yeah. Fuck. Stop. <laughs> Stop. God. Terry, do you have a point to make? Or are you... I, I got to it. All right. Traps and monsters to fight your enemies. All right, Dan, what Dan, do you got? Interesting combat. Um, <laughs> I would uh, really like to reinforce the fact that there are consequences. You're going to talk about Jedis? I'm not going to talk about Jedis. I'm not going to talk about Jumbies. Um, fuck! <laughs> um, there are consequences to every single combat, like we're about to see with Adam, whose vein is popping out his forehead. You guys are worse than my mother. This shit. <laughs> Are you going to see the latest Star War? Fuck. <laughs> the Star War. <laughs> Damn, um, do your thing. Yeah, uh, there are consequences to every single uh, combat. So, And I'd like to reinforce the fact that combat is loud and dungeons oh, are right. small. So there are, if you have a loud combat, you're drawing in other encounters possibly. And really reinforce it to your party before you just start throwing them endless amounts of monsters from the dungeon. That... They should probably keep this quiet. Um, the Keep of the Borderlands did this very well as a module where you have multiple tunnels in this one thing and you're trying to um, make your way through these tunnels and rescue people and do, do your missions inside these things. But these tunnels are massive and full of so many threats that your party cannot handle. And if you're too loud, you're screwed. Really reinforce that to your party. Um, have consequence to combat and also have puzzle to combat. Um, have it be more than just a, they're at that end of the hall, you're at this end of the hall, whoever's standing at the end wins. Have some sort of puzzle. Sw- someone swinging blades coming Swinging out of blades walls. coming through or a, um, a acrobatic trap that someone has to go to activate a thing to... The walls are closing in at the same yeah, time. Yeah, something like that, right? Like that one, that one scene from that one Star Wars movie. Um, yeah. <laughs> With 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 the with the garbage crusher thing, yeah. Mm-hmm. So so how did puke start? I'm, I'm done. Go ahead, Adam. <laughs> He's gonna stab me when I'm least expecting. So my answer is for interesting combat. Staring at you like bloody three CPO. <laughs> <laughs> Terry, you and I usually team up against Dan, but I'm gonna take both of you on right now. <laughs> my my. Perspective on this is what you should really do is shifting terrain. You guys have both essentially said that as well. Yeah. Um, but remember that not every combat needs to be the same. Just because it's goblins and it's goblin tunnels you're in doesn't mean that you cannot have creatures with different sizes. Doesn't mean that you can't have easier fights. Maybe you have younger, inexperienced goblins. They walk in with one hit point. You're like, oh shit, that was easy. And the next one you run into is a hard fight where it's a goblin that's bigger than any other goblin you've ever seen wearing heavy armor. Right? Carrying two, like, chain flails. Right? There should be chases. You should be falling back and moving forward. And when you fall back and cover old ground, there needs to be stuff that's happened there since you left. Mm-hmm. You should be trying to ambush the enemies, and they should be trying to ambush you. Consistent strategy and tactics. Keep in mind, as a dungeon master, that you are not just saying, from room A into room B, from room B into room C... A dungeon is a living, breathing place. Even a tomb where nothing is living or breathing, it is a living, breathing place. If you set off this trap and the log got shot down the hallway to like, it's rolling along, you guys have to jump out of the way. Well, now it has opened up a doorway in the, in the back that wasn't there before. Yeah. Right. And so it needs to change. Like you're saying, Dan, it always has consequences. So anyway, I think that's it for the three pillars. 
Do we want to do a shout out? Yeah, I want to shout out JP with uh, Tiny Dungeon. Um, I recently won a giveaway uh, from him, and you don't hear me bragging. Uh, no, because you do it so often, it's just part of your life, you win these giveaways. Um, but this is the only one I've really ever won, and I gotta say, this, uh, was fantastic, and it's mainly because JP himself is a great resource for anyone out there. Uh, I won some dice, I won, uh, Ghost of the Salt Marsh, and, uh, he threw in a couple of these little one-page, two-page dungeons, and, and dungeon crawls that he creates um and you could go check him out on his instagram he's at tiny dungeons it's one word um and he really builds these things well everything's got a consequence i was flipping through these ones he gave us here and like one of them is like a world of warcraft dungeon recreate it's fantastic like I, I, you guys missed that dan just flailed he was so happy oh i'm, I'm a world of warcraft nerd like it, it's it was great um so I cannot recommend enough the products this guy makes and puts out there. Uh, they are very clean, well-organized, single-page dungeons. He gives you a guide for kind of what level they are, the party's and, supposed to be. And, and this shit, these are, I, you, you let me look over them ahead yeah. of time. These are going to be amazing for introducing new players yeah. to the concept of a dungeon. Exactly. And and he's got maps that you can then explain to your party. He's got everything uh, included there. So everybody, I don't care where you are what you're doing right now if you're driving pull over pull out instagram go to at tiny dungeons see this guy's stuff it's fantastic and can, I, you can buy them right and he's you can buy them. them yeah yeah he's he's selling them and please buy jp stuff i want to see more of this stuff out there and if it's not provided if you guys don't pay for it he won't keep going so keep sending him money he's great okay so the other thing that i want to talk about um is we've got a new uh, kind of show coming up here in the next week or two. I don't remember what day this episode's dropping. But we're doing an actual play for Call of Cthulhu. <laughs> Dan has decided to DM for Terry and I and three other losers who sat around the table and tried to live. Uh, well, Dan systematically tried, tried to, to survive. Yeah, he, Adam. <laughs> no, no, we tried to just, I didn't even try to, to survive. I tried to live. I was just trying to to maintain my life as Dan hit me with fucking shrapnel repeatedly. Hey, we, we, and wolves. And hey, wolves. In his, and in his defense, your party I, also shot you. I also hit you with shrapnel. Did I get sh No, I didn't get shot. You got shot. Oh, no, you shot Terry. Terry shot, shot me. Yeah. yeah. Oh. And I'd do it again. Fuck. <laughs> listen, listen to Terry shoot me and innocent animals. Do you know what? On this. Hold on, hold on. No more spoilers for this. We spent the entire summer recording these episodes. We're super excited about them. Dan has pulled out all of the stops on these. And we're very proud of this. Um, it's called The Deep Dark of Radiance. It takes place up in uh, the Yukon, Yukon yeah. in the 1920s, shortly after World War One, before World War Two. The Yukon's in Canada. It's Yeah, it's, it's Canadian Alaska, uh, I guess. So, um, Isn't Alaska Canadian Alaska? <laughs> but uh, no, they have more freedom in Alaska, I think. Oh, sure, they do. Um, but... Anyway, it's a lot of fun. We had a great time doing it. We fight and struggle with the mechanics. We fight and struggle for our lives in it. And I recommend that everyone checks it out. It is a miniseries that's going to run a couple episodes a week all the way through up until Halloween. Yep. So if you don't know Call of Cthulhu but you've heard about it or you know it and you want to hear us butcher the rules, come check <laughs> us out because we had a blast doing it. Literally uh, and figuratively, but no spoilers. Because we got to use guns in Canada. 
We did use ca- guns in Canada. Yeah, but it's 1920 Canada, so it was kind of... It was also 1920 guns. They're really fun. Yeah. So. <laughs> um, especially when you shoot more your partners. More guns. No, no, Terry, no. Uh, listen, check it out. We're going to be releasing them, so when you guys start to see on your automatic downloads or whatever, you have these Deep Dark of Radiance um, episodes popping up. That's what this is about. Um, and we actually... Get a little meta before and after as well, yeah. where we talk about what this experience was like for us, because none of us really had much experience with Call of Cthulhu, nope. especially 7th edition. So this was really fun, and I hope everybody enjoys it as much as we enjoyed playing it. So, And a shout out to Dan for really spearheading that Dan, entire thing. Dan, you did a phenomenal Terry, job. Terry and I said, we would like to play Call of Cthulhu. Dan, you're DMing. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Well, I said, I said once. Yeah, I played Call of Cthulhu once. Yeah, That's good enough. <laughs> 100% yep. more than I have. So. And I'm pretty sure it was like 4th edition or 5th edition, and they're now on 7th. And I was just like, sweet, got to learn an entire new system. And I said, Dan, I don't have time to learn all the rules. So, Dan, you go learn all the rules. You have all of this spare time with all of your kids and your, your job with long nights and whatnot and all the editing that you do. You have time to learn all the rules. And then Dan went and learned all the rules. And I said, what's a Cthulhu? <laughs> and then I also learned them and gave them shit. So... Also known as that, yeah, that, that's just my life now. Yeah. Yeah. Good. And 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 cameo Terry's shoes yep. in this. So for those of you that are interested, check us out. It's coming all October. This is our big Halloween push, and we're very excited about it. So, yep. anyways, let's move on to Mega Dungeons. Dungeons, 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 Dungeons. Dan, <laughs> Dan, you don't like Mega Dungeons. Not a fan. Why? Um, for, for those of you that don't know, Mega Dungeons are dungeons that take up an entire freaking section of a campaign. I'm not talking three or four sessions. I'm not take, talking nine or ten sessions. I'm talking nine or ten levels of character development. Yeah, it is. Uh, you spend months playing months. in them. It's, it's months. And it's. I think it's a... Um, eventually everything's just going to start bleeding into being the same. Like, you've got to go above and beyond to make sense of it. Why your random party will be stuck in a, you know, intricate cave system for, uh, months on end is, it boggles my mind. It, it honestly, I know it's the way the game was initially designed where you are a party going through a dungeon to defeat a dragon. That was the way the game was initially designed. Well, the shit, game that's right. Be- the title. Yeah. Hey. Um, oh, my God. Th- the game has grown so much more. And honestly, I I feel dungeons no, it's not should those be beers. two to three. <laughs> not you, Dan. No, you are more in danger of that. Well, no, I don't no. know. Nachos, I think. Just look at them. Yeah. So, uh... I don't know, man. Like it's, it's. There's a lot of fatigue in it. There's a lot. Like you're just going back into the same thing over and over and over again. And uh, I, I would want a little bit more variety. And I like very character-driven story arcs. And it's hard to have a character-driven story arc when you're just okay. What are we doing today? Well, we're going to clear out room C three to C twelve. Okay, let's but go clear. Out room I, I don't C3 know. I think C4. you have to give a little bit more credit to the people that are doing the mega dungeons properly look at dungeon of the mad Ma- at the at the, 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 the dungeon of the mad mage yeah um, just put the spanish subtitles on <laughs> <laughs> but uh but the dungeon of the mad mage does a great job if you flip through it dan i've looked at it in passing uh, i haven't looked through the dungeon of the mad mage no the, but i do know it's about undermountain right like it's a, yeah and you go through level after level but each level is radically different but that's and, the lore of 
the Undermountain. But that's how, how Mega Dungeons should be run, where Mega Dungeons are underground sections that maybe are not necessarily um, the Underdark. Mm-hmm. But where you have these entire sections of... I mean, if you're in the plane of Earth... For example, it's tunnels and whatnot. This yep. is this is a dungeon. You are stuck in a mega dungeon on the plane of Earth. That's what that is, right? I think it's a pandemonium as well. It's nothing but howling wind through tunnels, yeah. right? So that's that's what you get. And so these dungeons, when done properly, they will have factions and kingdoms and stuff living down here. There will be entire ecologies and economies down here. You will find merchants wandering around. Like this is just. I, and here's where I wanted to challenge you. Let me describe something to you where it is an outdoor size of a continent almost, okay? But there's a barrier around the continent and you can't get out. There are five or six easy ways, like roads, to to travel on. But everything else is dense wilderness with a high mortality rate that you're really encouraged not to go into, okay? And there are only a handful of cities and people working. But there are these giant monsters that are moving and you can't escape. And you are trying to go from place to place to solve mysteries and, and, and what if that's a mega dungeon? Yeah. Okay. That's the campaign that you've been playing in for a year. And you've been having a good time with that. <sighs> Come on, it, hit, hit me. Hit well, me. I'm, you're you're biting like, back. It's, it's, it's not necessarily a mega dungeon if the sky's over your head and, and you're moving like, uh, like you have wide open. You said a dungeon can't have open planes. We have open planes. Right, like we we have open uh, escapes. Like we were moving on a boat through a swamp aimlessly for a month, right? Like of in-game time. It, it that's not a mega dungeon. Like I guess you could say, yeah, there's a bubble around it. Our characters don't know of the limitations, whereas a dungeon, you know that there are limitations there, right? I would say that you know the limitations of the river banks and the deepest darkest portions of the jungles, and you know that yeah, sure, there's open desert there, but it means certain death to go. <laughs> In there, right? The same way that there are barriers all over the place. You, they're roads, right? They're technically rivers, but they're really roads, yeah. Right to to go from one area. How is that different than than scale? Just, Pure just scale, scale, right? Like to move from one city to another city in our campaign is days of in-game time. Whereas in a so mega dungeon, you're going. So you from, don't from, consider the Underdark to be a mega dungeon? No, not at all. Okay, I I, I, I consider it a completely different. I almost consider the Underdark like a separate plane of the game. It's just, you know, under the main material plane when you're up in the sun. But you are dealing with things like the fact that you're not getting sunlight and whatnot when you're in the Underdark. Okay. Right? I don't view it as a dungeon. I view it as a separate ecology. But there could be multiple ecologies inside a mega dungeon. And so that's kind of what I want to talk about. Let's talk about, first of all, how do we incorporate world-building clues into this dungeon, where the world is bigger than just this mega dungeon, right? But you're going to spend a lot of time in here, right? We could do a whole episode on how to include cities in mega dungeons and how what races to be in, but let's talk about world-building clues. Okay. Um, so let's roll initiative on this, guys. 17. What did I get? 10? I got a 5. All right. All right, so I, I'm going to go first. First and foremost, when you are dealing with the mega dungeon, there needs to be a clear objective, and you need to have lots of different clues about which way to go. Multiple directions to go. It's not just a single passage over and over and over again. There are multiple routes, and you really like that. What was it? Keep on the Borderlands. You just said did that really well. Yeah. Right? So there are, and that's well, that was from 80 AD. Yeah. So, um, 
you need to have indications early. If they're just wandering around in the dark, it's not fun. So answer these questions and make it clear that this is a path to go on. And we're going to spend some time in here. Don't have this be a surprise we're on level 8. Right? Surprise, there's a level 9. Let Maybe it's surprise that there's a sub-section to one of the levels. But they should know. They should have a general idea of where they're going and what they're going to face when they get there. Okay? That's kind of how it is. You know, if you go deep enough, the purple worm will show up. Yeah. Right? So that way you're not just hitting them in the side of the head with a purple worm. Name of my sex tape. (laughs) (laughs) Let's talk about his dick. (laughs) Um, Is that what that was? (laughs) The completion to the mega dungeon itself, really any dungeon, when you finish it, it needs to provide a sense of closure, but also the ability to kind of draw people into the next stage. You're talking about ending an entire arc in your campaign, and you have to have a satisfying ending to a mega dungeon. You need to build this shit up. Yeah. And they there needs to be, like, there needs to be a boss, right? Or the loot that they get, which is super freaking overpowered, right? Um, they, you need to establish the themes and the prophecies and foreshadowing early in it. Right, you have this idea that oh, we first we fought goblins and then we fought an ogre and then later on, then you fought dwarves and then giants and then later on you fought low-level demons and then pit fiends and like like or uh, balors because I said demons, but whatever it is, it's there's a consistent theme, a cycle that you're going through on this so that it's the flavor that's different, it's the method that's different, the idea of why and how are different, but the what is familiar enough that it can kind of sit in the background because you need people to role play in your dungeon. You need people to explore in your dungeon and don't be afraid to include underground societies. And it doesn't have to be goblins, dwarves, and gnomes. There are tons of things out there. Yeah. Um, Darrow is a great option. I know they're from the Underdark, but they would make homes in any sort of mega dungeon. Myconids. Myconids are another one. Yeah. Um, there's all sorts of different opportunities. Why not go with the, some of the aquatic races and underground pools and want a, a Kuatoa? Yeah. That just makes a lot of sense to me. So if you're going to design a mega dungeon, you need to think about it like you are designing um, kind of a, a, a continent where you say we're going to do this region first, then this region second, then this region third. And the roads that you're going to be on have got to be linear and narrow because they're going to be tunnels, right? Or maybe open areas, but but there's walls, mm-hmm. right? And the darkness is going to work against you. What is it going to do to your characters to not see sunlight? Are you going to add a sanity score, right? Because that's one of the variant rules in the DMG, mm-hmm. right? There's a lot of fun things that you can do in a mega dungeon that you can't do rescuing the princess and galloping your yeah. horses to the next kingdom, right? So. That's that's my answer. Yeah. Uh, who who rolled next? That was me, Terry. What do you got? What do I think needs to be included in a, in a mega dungeon? Well, in, what world building clues and stuff would you would you throw in there? How would you really expand on the idea of world building when you're trapped in a dungeon? Um, I think. Well, I I kind of looked at this question differently when I was prepping. And then that how would I not make it so monotonous and boring? And, and really, it just needs to be that you ex- need to explore the exploration more and, and flesh out the civilizations that are in there. I know that's what you're touching it there, Adam. But so, if especially if you're going to be in a mega dungeon where it's going to be going on for maybe months of, of, of actual time, we really need to push on just how incredible these places can be and explore how, you know, um, like some sort of like 
elven kingdom is going to be different to a dwarven kingdom, which could, we could even make an argument that like Atlantis is a dungeon, you know, because you're trapped down there if you trap yeah. down there. So I know you're talking about pools of water and things, but I think we just really need to touch dive really deeply into the exploration side of it. Yeah, clever. But also, if needs be, and some people may not agree with this, but fuck it, I don't care. There <laughs> needs to be a way for the players to exit and re-enter if those players just need to be refreshed. Whether it's not they have a contact outside, Metal Gear Solid style, who's communicating with them somehow, or they have portals or an item that they can use to enter and, and to exit and re-enter that dungeon. Uh, but if the players... Everybody's need- got scrolls of town portal. Yeah, exactly. That's if the, Diablo 2. Like, yeah. players, well, and that's one of the reasons why I don't like Mega Dungeons is when I think of Mega Dungeons, I think Diablo 2 or, or Diablo 1, to be honest, where it's just you, your next level is just deeper. Your next level is deeper. Your next de- level's deeper, that, but hell. Yeah, your but, next but level's that, that was poor dungeon design. It, uh, no, it was, it was a game. Sorry, I interrupted you. That's but. all right. If the players need that relief, you have to give it to them because it's both sides of the screen trying to have fun. And if they're, if they're really telling you that they need that relief, you gotta give them a way to come out and come back in. We can come back to that mega dungeon that you spent months and months and months creating, but don't force it if it's not there. When I had you guys going through the underground demon keep, right? It was built into a cliff face and you could leave whenever you yeah, wanted. And, we and the demons couldn't get out, except after a certain number of days, they will all get out. Yeah. So you guys got to choose when to take your long rests. And we watched the clock. And yeah, we literally went in, got the shit kicked out of us for an hour, then we left and, and chilled if, out for a if, bit. If I was if I was to do a demon if I was to do a mega dungeon like this, I would have it kind of like a um uh, the uh, like a beehive kind of deal. You have a central hub and then everything is around in three dimensions, this central city hub where you are now moving back and forth from. Where oh, so, so your home base is the central hub. Your home base is the central hub in the middle of the dungeon. And that is where you start and then you're going out from there. And it could be a, a simple fact of, you know, you start up with trying to get out of this subterranean cave. It's got a maze runner type feel to it. Yeah, it yeah. very much has a maze runner. And like, you are unlocking things to open up next sections of the dungeon that haven't been seen in 150 years. Yeah. But there's that one dwarf that's 200 years old, but still a little senile and crazy who'll give you a couple clues, but he's inside the town. Right? Like, sure. it's, it's things like that. I would have a closer hub so you're not in the mega dungeon adventuring with every single session I think that's your, that's your problem is you see the mega dungeon as being a consistent dungeon crawl yes but it isn't a mega dungeon has cities yeah it has so, downtime so you would have to have that built in and like you said Terry like you need to as a DM if you're building one of these things have ways whether it be through portals or tunnels or okay but magic but but that, that brings me to my next thing I want to talk about rests and downtime okay yeah are you done you're, yeah I'm done okay yeah. Rests and downtime. I already mentioned Lehman's tiny hut. I already mentioned Mordenkainen's magnificent mansion. The thing about rests and downtime is that it's hard to come by in a dungeon. In a mega dungeon, it isn't. It should be readily available for you to retreat. Do you guys have any thoughts on rest and downtime? Dan, it sounds to me like you're an advocate that you need it. And I think that that's just a part of D&D. Yeah, you do to, need it. To have it, you mean? Yeah, to, to have the rest, to get the downtime. As long as you can get creative with it, I don't see why not, especially mm-hmm. in a mega dungeon. I mean, we're talking, a mega dungeon, there's going to there's gonna be all kinds of rooms and civilizations in there. You're going to find 
barracks. You may even find a tavern or something under there. There's, yeah. there's going to be ways that you can implement this into the game. I feel like you can get down far enough into into a mega dungeon. Or the, the Blood Wars is kicking off. And it's demons versus devils in one section that's been awarded by angels. And they, so they can't get out, but they're fighting for supremacy in this. And so you have to get through it to whatever, yeah. right? But you know that you're going to go into that area, so you take a rest beforehand. Yeah. Right? Like, I feel like that that's how mega dungeons are, are set up. But let's talk about shortcuts then. Do you guys have shortcuts back and forth? Is it to get in and out? Yeah, to get... If you're in the mega dungeon and you've got a hub city, dance dance is the middle of a beehive. For me, it's the first level of the mega dungeon is a city, and then the eighth level is a is the Darrow city, and then the fifteenth level is the Mykonid city, mm-hmm. right? And so I have different checkpoints almost. Yeah. But do you have shortcuts to get back and forth? Yeah, I think the the, the, the shortcuts could be accessed different ways. Yeah, you may have some sort of mundane shortcut, which is just a cavern, which is oh sorry, a, a tunnel which is cut out that nobody knows about, a secret tunnel, or you're gonna have all kinds of casters down there that may have formed their own magic items or mirrors you can travel through or teleportation circles. I think there should be shortcuts accessible, but I don't think they're necessarily, uh, air quotes, supposed to have been in that dungeon, but may have been created by people who have visited that dungeon. Uh, Maybe a bunch of teleportation circles that someone has gone by and, like, with a stick, wrecked one part of the chalk. And if you can get here and complete the circle again with your line of chalk, then or your stick of chalk, then you can access any of the other ones that have been unlocked at this point. Yeah. Literally giving you checkpoints to have to hit. Yeah, you're again we're talking Diablo with waypoints. Like those that's exactly what you're saying. Yeah. Diablo you go discover these things and then you could go to any of these other points. Right? It's the same deal. Uh I like the idea of if you um, I like the idea of having that central hub city so that you can do what you need for two days and then you're back in the hub city and then you get to do things like develop relationships and, and uh, have key NPCs that you could return to. If you have like the human city at the top and then you have the Darrow city at one, uh, the dwarf city at one level, then the Darrow and then the drow and you're just going down, down, down. Um, but it's a constant downward progression. You're, you have a, f- philosophy in your head you have a state of mind where you're not going to be building npc connections with anyone in the town that's staying the only npcs are the ones that are coming with you right um and i don't like that per se so i would have a way to get back up and i think what terry was saying where have like uh you get to the bottom level right before you're about to get to that next city level and you find a way to return up, whether it be through an, like an ancient elevator or a stairwell that no one really I, ever knew. Or I, I really like the idea too of skipping levels and you go down and find that everything down here is a CR-17 and you're a level 8 party. You're like, you know, we're, we're going to seal this shit up for now yeah. Yeah. and we'll come back to it exactly, later, right? right? And there's there's no reason why you can't do any of that. Okay, um, do you, how do you guys feel about losing ground as well? I like the idea of, of your shortcuts are there, but then as you go back to revisit them, they've been taken over by something else. That's a really good way to uh, keep your characters and your players invested in the Mega Dungeon. That's how you do it. You might just piss them off. Uh, yeah, it really depends on how you do and it. And there has to be leg- a, a legit reason and a reason that they can discover. If you just do it just to fuck with them, you'll lose them real quick. All of a sudden, this fantastical mega dungeon that was really interesting is now just fucking annoying because they can't get out. Yeah, every time that they enter this room, they got to fight the guy again. Yeah. Right? The, the suit of armor comes back to life again. Yeah. Right? Do it. Do it once. 
Maybe twice if you did it well the first time. Oh, Don't you do it, it twice. Just still no. With the well, that's why time. I said if. Yeah. If you did it okay, the, if you did it okay the second time or the first time, you can maybe pull off a second. You will not be able to pull off. A well, I, I'm thinking, you know, if they decide they heard goblin voices down the tunnels to the right, and they decide to move on further down, and they come back and those goblins are gone, it makes sense that the next time they're here, those goblins have set up traps and like yeah. you're not just waltzing through. So I guess the big thing is that mega dungeons are a grind. How do you deal with that? Uh, <laughs> uh, by using all of the above. I'd say it's give them options to get out. If the players are telling you that they need it, if they need a break, uh, lean heavily into the theater of the mind and the exploration and exploring this fantastical world that you've built to make it interesting so it doesn't just become scrolling through a mega dungeon of doom. Um, and give them... Um, manageable goals and rewards. Rewards they're actively interested in, not rewards that you're interested in giving, and that's how you'll keep them invested. But if they're showing signs that they're starting to lose interest, you got to find a way to get them out there. Yeah. Everybody's losing. Look, my concept is give them a side quest. Look, we need this item to get further down, and we can't get that down here. We need to go three kingdoms over. Get the item and then come back and, and continue. Let's get some fresh air for a while. Yeah, yeah. 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 Go, go pull up. them out of the du- pull them out of the mega dungeon temporarily to go get MacGuffin B and then come back and then. And honestly, it. if it's your players complaining and the characters aren't because their characters are all dwarves and we love the underground, but the players are like, God damn it, one shots, man. Yeah. Right, yeah. hit a one shot. You know that every three weeks is going to be a one shot of something else. Somewhere yeah, it else. could be the one shot. The last few parties that were down there. Uh, uh, sorry, how they got to there? Something you know. Yeah, like, we can do whatever we want. So, anyways, it sounds to me, guys, we always get really excited about the dragon episode. Yeah, it sounds to me like we're not that excited about dungeons. Uh, I just y- y- on a mega scale, no. I think I like the idea of mega dungeons in that something that you can visit and leave and visit again. I don't think there's many people in the world that want to be trapped in a mega dungeon for a long period of time. Well, I think that's the point is you don't want to be, but the idea is to get out. I mean, Out of the Abyss is essentially starts off with a mega dungeon because you're on the run, right? And you're essentially like naked and you have nothing and you're running and running and running for a couple of sessions, right? You are on the run. Yeah. And people say that that's hard. It's a real fucking grind, right? Dan, how do you feel about dungeons in, in general? Uh, they're an integral part of the game. That's part, part of the fucking title. But it's... Uh, you really need to handle them well because the game has grown so much that there's now so much more available to you you as a DM and to your players that it's just doing dungeon after dungeon after dungeon isn't going to pan out for them. So really mix it up. Run them well and... Be sparing with them. Have other ways to keep your players' interest. Yeah. Um, I'm. You know what? I really like the Mega Dungeon. I'm counter to you guys. I really like the idea of going deeper and deeper and letting it go bigger and bigger, and it's going to get worse and worse for them. But I want to run 12, 12 sessions of that yeah. and get to that experience and then move on to something else, right? This is a I, – I don't want a little flavor. I want a mouthful of flavor, and I want to marinate in this shit. Yeah. But – it also needs to have a definitive ending, and it can't be. This is our. This is D and D for the next year. So I'm very interested in running Dungeon of the Mad Mage to see how Wizards really created it properly. What is their version of a mega dungeon? Because I think we're also going to get one with uh, my prediction. I don't know this. 
is Descent into Avernus as well. Oh, yeah, probably. Well, and they had a little bit of one in uh, Tomb of Annihilation with the uh, tomb at the end. It's, it is definitely a mega dungeon, but... Well, I mean, the um, Tales of the Yawning Portal is nothing but dungeon crawls, yep. right? So, uh, And you're supposed to string them all together, which is not different than just seven different layers of, of a dungeon, Yep. right? Of a mega dungeon. So anyway, it sounds to me like... There are right ways to handle regular dungeons and wrong ways. We've talked about um, the must-haves. We've talked about the faux pas. We talked about some player tactics that in uh, incorporating the different pillars of play, and then mega dungeons. You guys are kind of sour on, which, yeah. which surprised me. But um, is there anything else you'd like to add before we wrap it up? No, I'm good. No, guys, I'm good. All right. So you can reach me, Adam, at Rusty Styrofoam, Dan. At Oscar the Orc underscores in case. You guys can find me at SendNoobsDND on Instagram. And you can find all of us at It's a Mimic on Instagram. Also, check out our Facebook page. Check us out at It's a Mimic DND on Twitter and the website www.itsamimic.com. You can also reach us by email at info at It's a Mimic. And uh, I think that's, that's pretty much it, guys. That's pretty much it. And again, go out, see Tiny Dungeon stuff on Instagram. It's fantastic. So thank you very much for tuning into another episode. And we will be back next week with, I believe, it's Fighters. Woo! Thank you for listening to It's a Mimic. Check us out online at itsamimic.com or on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Have questions you would like answered by the guys on the show? Send them an email to itsamimic at gmail.com. Tune in every Tuesday for more. Thank you.